I'm Stefan Sittig, and welcome to American Theatre Artists Online, where we talk with leading contemporary figures in American theatre. If you've been enjoying the American Theatre Artists Online podcast, I urge you to consider donating to help the artists who produce the theatre that we all love so much. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, many performers, designers, directors, choreographers, stage crew, and theater administration staff are either without a job or in peril of losing their jobs. The Actors Fund provides assistance to artists to cover basic living expenses, such as food, essential medications, utilities, and more. If you love and enjoy theater, please consider donating to the Actors Fund today. Just go to actorsfund.org and press donate. No one in your life is with you constantly. No one is completely on your side. And though I move my world to be with him still the gap between us is too wide Arbender Robinson has been entertaining Broadway audiences for decades his Broadway credits include In Transit Shuffle Along the 2014 revival of Les Misérables where he was the first black man to play Marius on Broadway Beautiful the Carol King musical The Lion King, The Book of Mormon, Hair, Ragtime, The Little Mermaid, and Hairspray. Arbender starred in the 2016 hit musical Shuffle Along, alongside many Broadway legends, including Audra McDonald, Brian Stokes Mitchell, and Billy Porter. The show was directed by Tony Award winner George C. Wolfe and choreographed by Savian Glover. Hi, Arbender. Hey, how are you? How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for joining me on American Theatre Artists Online. We're so glad you were able to join us. I am, I am excited to be here. So, this is, so, we're, so we're both excited. We're both happy. This That's makes me happy. That's always a good place to be, yes, when everyone's excited and happy, especially in these days. Um, so thank you so much for, for agreeing to be on this podcast. I wanted to talk to you. One of the reasons I, I, I selected you to talk to is that um, you, know, you really have been... Um, working a working actor for a long time and you've been entertaining Broadway audiences for a long time and your Broadway credits are pretty expansive and you're not that old. <laughs> you've done a lot of Broadway shows. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think I'm that old. No, you're not. <laughs> for a young man, um, you really have done a lot, you know, from in transit, shuffle along. I'm just listing some of the things I saw on your on your resume and things that I know you've worked on. The revival of Le Mis, um, <clears throat> Beautiful, the Carol King musical, Lion King. These are classic, huge shows. The Book of Mormon, Hair, Ragtime. I know it's probably like I'm giving you flashbacks as I'm saying these out loud. The Little Mermaid and Hairspray. These are all amazing. And in some cases, you were part of the original cast of some of these shows I know, like Beautiful and the Book of Mormon to, for, and, and, and the revival of Shuffle Along. That's pretty impressive stuff there. Um, how do you have time to do anything else? <laughs> that's a really 
question, how do I have time to do anything? I think uh, I think the first thing that we have to remember or that I want to say is that um, my job, right, my job performing on Broadway is also my career, is also my hobby, is also my passion and my love. So it's so in that way, it's okay that I pretty much spend all of my life in a theater. <laughs> I, I get it. Yeah, <laughs> because, you have to. You know, yeah. it's my career and, and my passion and my hobby at the same time. But, um, um, yeah, uh, I, I, I will admit that sometimes I wake up in the morning and I say, um, uh, wow, Arbender, you're, you're, you're working, like you're, you're living the dream. And, then some, and sometimes I say to myself, yes, but sometimes it's so lonely because there are, you know, um, things in, in about, about your personal life that, that are no longer uh, not valid, but, but they don't work out the way that your career does, right? Like um, you're missing birthday parties and things like that because you're entertaining audiences on Broadway. So that's, that's another part to think of it. So yes, Broadway does take a lot of, a lot of time and a lot of sacrifice, but we do it because we love it. Um, and it's, it's our passion. It's our hobby. So it kind of balances out. Yeah. That's the trade-off, right? Ethel Merman used to say, if you want to do a Broadway show, you've got to live like a nun. This is true. This is very. If you if you want to do a Broadway show, uh, show and be successful during the show, you have to live like a nun. Yes. Ah, you can, big, big. You, you know, I, big point. I was just reading um, Bob Avian's book, Dancing Man, about you know his work with Michael Bennett. He was you know Michael Bennett's right hand man, choreographer, director, wonderful Bob Avian, who just we just lost um, recently. Uh, who passed, uh, and he was talking about how the main one of the big differences in Broadway in the last 50 years that he noticed having done a show recently and having done shows back in the 60s is how many people miss shows uh, and how much uh, rotation of swings and you know it's it's a big it's a big machine now with the swings and the understudies and the, you know and back in the day he said you know we were lucky to have anyone understood people were on eight shows a week and they were you know so it, it is it's people forget how hard of a job it is to perform in a Broadway musical eight shows a week there's really not much time for anything else right this is true it's very true um I, I, I will say that you know those, those swings and understudies and covers. Uh, thank thank goodness for them, so that the show can still go on um, every night. But yeah, it is. Um, it, it is. I, 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 I like to tell people that um, not only are you, are you doing the show, but everything that you do before the show and everything that you do after the show directly reflects what you're able to do each night during the show. So you just have to be careful. You know, um, you won't ever, if I'm in a show, you won't ever see me going to Colorado and skiing with my friends because I could get injured. Or you're not going to see me going to a birthday party with loud music because speaking over the music could make the voice tired. So mm-hmm. it's, um, it's small things that you have to do every day in your life before and after the show in order to maintain um, the ability to do the show every night. But again, we do it because we love it so um, and it's a wonderful feeling once you're out there but absolutely i think a lot of people especially on the audience side who aren't performers who might be listening in they don't realize how much focus and how much of your life being in a musical uh, on broadway or anywhere but in a professional musical takes up out of your time because yeah you've got to be ready for those two hours on the stage that you've got to live and you've got to give you want to give your hundred percent exactly exactly so talk to me a bit um you know you've done some really uh, amazing shows that you've been a part of, wonderful experiences, and we'll talk about those in a second. But before we even dive in, 
Can you tell us a bit about how did you, how did this happen for you? How did this start? Was this something that you always wanted to do theater, be in musicals, sing? Did you have a mentor or someone who helped you lead the way? How did you, how did you get started in this career? So this, this is a really interesting question because normally the answer to this question is, oh, I saw a show when I was six and then decided that I wanted to be on Broadway and then this is a path that I took. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you this. I, I, I really feel like the, the art form, the craft, the industry kind of chose me instead of me choosing the industry. Oh, that's interesting. Um, how, how, how so? Cool. A, a, a few examples of that. So, um, one of my first times playing a lead role in a show um, that received praise and made me feel really good about the work. I was in eighth grade. Uh, we had just moved, my family had just moved to a new school district. I wasn't doing very well in class. And my math teacher came to me and said, hey, Arbender, you're not doing well in my class. So to earn extra credit, uh, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do, uh, to play a role in this play that, that's going to be done in front of the entire student body. And at that time, there was this new uh, drug awareness resistance and education program called DARE. And we were doing a play about drug awareness um, as a way to introduce this new program. So I had to play the lead in that for only for extra credit because I was failing math. I did that and it was really, really cool. I'm like, this is amazing. And like people are applauding and I love this theater thing. This is great. And I got extra credit and I passed the class. Wonderful. Mm. So then later in high school, it's kind of a similar situation. So um, the drama director in high school always encouraged me to do the plays and encouraged me to do the musicals. But it was, I, I loved it, but I never really thought I would do make it my career. And then we fast forward in life and then it's time for me to go to college and I'm looking at schools for pre-law and, and creative writing and things like that. And then last minute, when my other college plans fell through, last minute, a nun from this school in La Crosse, Wisconsin, gives me a call and says, based on your ACT score, we have this money for you. Have you thought about where you're going to school? And then after a lengthy conversation, I ended up hopping in the car with my parents, driving five hours up to this school, auditioning for the school, applying for the school, getting accepted, finding financial aid and housing all in the same day, going home, packing my car, and then coming to this school, having absolutely no idea what I'm going to do here and I just so happen to do theater wait a minute pause there for a second a nun yeah so so the school (laughs) yeah so it was a private Catholic university called Viterbo University in La Crosse Wisconsin and yes at the time there were still nuns teaching here or teaching there so um so yeah she just called me what what seemed like out of the blue based on my test scores just to see if I thought about where I was going to school and things like that and they had money for me and so this is where I came to school and then I ended up majoring in theater thinking that I would major in theater and then go off to uh law school from there was the plan Mm. and then once again the industry found me so while i was here majoring in theater a few opportunities landed in my lap so even before graduating i was on tour with the children's theater children's theater company so i did that and said to myself okay the moment i'm unemployed i'll go back to school i'll go back to law school and finish the law degree um and knock on wood i have yet to be unemployed so <laughs> you haven't had a break you haven't had a long enough break there where you could uh, even entertain that idea right i mean the, the the longest break that i've had literally has been a week 
Wow. It's the longest break that I've well, had. You know, yeah. it's so, funny. It's funny you talk about a nun connecting you and helping you get you know to to where you wanted to go because I spoke to Ken Page not that long ago, uh, a couple of months ago on my podcast. You know, the legendary Ken Page, the legendary yeah. star from Eight Misbehaving and and um, and um, Cats, who said that it was a nun that got him his start as well. I mean, that's kind of interesting. There's a lot of nuds out there in the Midwest uh, helping helping folk out. <laughs> <laughs> but sorry, go ahead. Continue. And then, and then I, and then I also feel that e- even even from there, everything kind of happened um, by divine intervention or whatever you want to call it. I just always happened to be at the right place at the right time. Even down to um, so I am I am contemplating moving to New York City. Um, I am in auditions for this show called Hairspray. However, <laughs> I'm in I'm in Michigan doing um a production of hair right and then literally on my day off it just worked out perfectly i had to fly back to new york the only flights that were available were the flights that fit perfectly into my schedule flew back to new york had my final call back flew back to michigan to do the show and then new york calls and says hey you can do hairspray but only i know you're doing a show only if you can begin rehearsals on Monday. Well, guess what? The show that I was doing was closing on Sunday, yeah. right? It was a matinee, and the flight that I found first thing Monday morning would get me into New York just in time to make it to rehearsal. So that's what I did, and then I ended up making my Broadway debut. So, like, everything wow. has just fallen directly into the place exactly the way that it should, and I just say that it's it's the universe guiding me on a path that... Um, that I apparently need to be on. So there we go. That's wonderful. You know, and it is very different from the story of other people that I sometimes talk to who have, you know, struggle and a lot of auditions and a lot of, um, you know, uh, to try to get in the door. But it's funny how many people I do talk to that actually have a similar story to you in the sense that it just seemed to work out. They kind of went with the flow, didn't fight it, and then things just sort of were meant to be, you know, and you mentioned Hairspray. Was that your Broadway debut? Hairspray, Hairspray was my Broadway debut. Yes, it was. And you played, you worked, you, you, did you cover or you played the role of Seaweed? I don't remember. Did so that... I, um, I was, I was in the ensemble and covered the role of Seaweed. Mm-hmm. I temporarily took over Seaweed for a very short amount of time and then went back to covering. So, um, wow. yeah, that was, that, that was my Broadway debut. That's a and, great um, thing to just be thrown into the middle then there with, you know, Jerry Mitchell and, and everyone as who, Harvey Firestein, right. Uh, or he, he, was you know that's pretty amazing to be able to be part of of that amazing production of course of course i mean and i still i mean i have i have fond memories of all of my shows on broadway but i have really fond memories of that not only was it my debut but that that creative team is is epic and the show is is so uh wonderful and and magnificent so like it um yeah, that show, it's it's special to me in so many ways. So imagine. Yes. Yeah, well, so I'm going to jump around a bit. I'm, instead of going, you know, in order, you know, then you did this show, then you did that show, I jump around because it's stuff that I like to, to talk about and I'm kind of selfish. It's my podcast, darn it. So I'm going to I'm gonna pick the stuff I... So here's what I want to talk about because I saw this in your resume and said, okay, I can't... He has to talk about this when I interview him. Shuffle along. The revival... Revival, one could say. I mean, none of us were alive when it was done the first time around. But um, 
What an amazing experience that must have been working with who I consider, and I think most of us consider Broadway legends. You're working with Tony Award-winning director George C. Wolfe and choreographer Savion Glover. You're working with legend stars Audra McDonald, Brian Stokes Mitchell, and Billy Porter. These are all BIPOC artists as well. So on top of ever, all their genius, on top of that, they all happen to be artists of color. So how was that experience like for you so so um uh, i will try and answer this question without crying um shuffle along it's, it's a happy cry shuffle along really was um kind of the show or the moment that kind of made all of it worth it right all the sacrifice all of the all of the rejection all of the uncertainty and like fear and you know uh all the traveling around the country for jobs and living in different places and living out of suitcases shuffle along kind of made it all worth it um and i'll say first i came in to shuffle along it was this thing called the untitled project it was an outline on a piece of paper about three years before the show opened um and george uh george c wolf just had an idea for a show so uh there was like a team of like five of us anika noni rose myself and a few others that were hired to go into a studio and just play with george for like a month and then that playing became uh the idea of what shuffle along was going to be and then over the course of the next two and a half three years the show kind of grew and grew and changed and grew and changed and then became the thing that we were able to put on stage um and and i i love so many things about it you're right there was a legendary creative team um and along with that creative team Anne Roth doing costumes, Santa Costa doing the lights, wow. Peggy Ju- I mean, doing the co- doing the set, Peggy mm-hmm. Jules on lights. Like the the entire creative team, Daryl Waters on music. The entire creative team was just epic. Mm-hmm. Um, and George really wanted to give us an experience uh, of what it was like to create theater back in the day. Um, so, so we're doing commercial theater, but it's all about being creative and discovering. If I found a bit of information in a history book somewhere and brought it into rehearsal the next day, George would try to find a way to incorporate it into the show. Just because I did research, found this history, let's try and put it in there. And then our performance process really became really became a process of of weeding out what audiences were responding to and what they weren't responding to. But the entire production from beginning until closing was just a creative exploration for all of us. And to be able to explore that with people that look like me, telling stories about people that look like me, it was really um, a once in a lifetime experience. And I'll say this, if I, if I, if that show closed and I never ever had the chance to do theater again, I would be completely content and happy mm. because that that show, that moment made everything worth it. Um, and I don't think I'll ever, ever have an experience that comes anywhere near that again. So um, Shuffle Along was everything to me. It still is everything to me. Um and it's amazing. It's the thing that in every interview, people always bring up Shuffle Along. It was truly, 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 truly um, uh, a dream. A dream to work on that show, a dream to work with that cast, a dream to work with that company, a dream to be able to 
tell that story and resurrect so many of those names that had been forgotten in history. Uh, it was a dream from top to bottom. So now, so I, I know you were. I, I know that you worked with a lot of different people, Audra, you know, and, and Brian Stokes Mitchell. Um, is there anything that you learned, or any story you can tell, share here, of something that you picked up from that show? Aside from the overall, obviously, um, experience, was there any one little moment or something that happened in rehearsal or in, during a performance that really, um, you know, lit your mind up and made you go, "Oh wow, this is something I'll always remember." Yes, and it's gonna. This is gonna sound kind of funny, and whenever I teach workshops and master classes now, I talk about this all the time. So we were in rehearsal one day, and George was talking to us about um, about art, and and um, without going too in depth, he essentially said that you can't create great art without really messing it up royally, like just messing it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we were like, George, what does that mean? And he says the best way to describe. Um, what did he say? Excellence in theater um, is an episode of The Roadrunner. And we all giggle because we're like, ha, 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 George is telling a joke. And he says, no. He says, the Roadrunner's running around, and this coyote is chasing the Roadrunner. And this coyote is trying to drop pianos and anvils and do this, and set up bombs and all these things, right? Trying every single tactic to capture this Roadrunner. And he said, and then the coyote gets to a place where he's so frenzied and so focused on the goal that they're both running towards the end of a cliff. And the roadrunner steps to the right and the coyote runs completely off the cliff. And he said, in that moment, right before the coyote falls, where the coyote is suspended in air, doesn't even realize that he's completely run off the cliff. He says, that moment before he crashes is where excellence happens. And he said, as an artist, you become so engrossed in your craft and you become so focused on the work that you're doing that you don't even realize that you've run off the edge of the cliff. And once you go off of that cliff, you find yourself in this abyss and that's where your magic is happening just before you crash. He's like, so you have to get to that point in your creative process where you just run off the cliff and then like all heck breaks loose uh, before you really get to that place where you discover that magical moment that's going to that's gonna give the moment value or really make it work. And, and that's what our rehearsal process was. That's what our creative process was. That's what our performance process was. That's what our preview process was. I mean, it was it was really just us running off the edge of the cliff every single day together as a team. So I will remember that always and forever. Hopefully that answers the question. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. What a great what a great way to illustrate, um, you know, the creative process and excellence in trying to achieve that. Um, That's great. So, you know, obviously this is a show shuffle along and you're working with a group. Of, of BIPOC artists um, and others. And, and um, you know, the history of, of, of people, BIPOC people in the United States, especially in musical theater too, has not necessarily been an easy road. I mean, there haven't been a ton of opportunities for, for BIPOC artists um, more recently, but over time, you know, it sort of became kind of a, a very non, you know, very white art form for, for many, many decades. But it's funny because without African-Americans and Jewish people, I would say, you really wouldn't have musical theater. <laughs> so, so it's kind of funny and Shuffle Along, Shuffle along touches on, on some of those topics that, you know, of racism, of, 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 of not being able to have an opportunity um, to perform or to be part of this art form that you've created. How, how um, 
were there discussions around that or did you or just you in general? Because, for example, let's just put this out here for those listening. You were the first black man to play Marius in Les Miserables on Broadway, right? So we know that that's a milestone, right, in uh, U.S. musical theater history, but also in your history, in your life. So how do you tie that in with sort of the BIPOC representation? You must have a lot that you've been thinking about uh, in terms of BIPOC representation in musical theater particularly. So, I mean... I mean, we we can do a five hour podcast on <laughs> on just this. Absolutely. Um, and I think I think uh, uh, it's it's interesting because we're 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 in a time now, um, really thanks to COVID, where people are. Um, uh, it seems that people are allowing themselves time and space to really think to really think about these things. Mm-hmm. Um, but for but for those of us that have to live it every single day, none of none of this is is new. Mm-hmm. Um, none of this is 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 a discovery. Uh, none of this surprises or or shocks us. This is this is our reality, or this is my reality every single day, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so so when 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 we think about when we think about you know the 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 American. American music theater. Um, in some ways, we can sit back and say, you know what? Uh, for the most part, it feels like um, you know uh, people of color are 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 not being represented as as much as they could, or not being acknowledged as much as they could. But but I think I think it goes back even further than that, because when when we teach people about theater, we we teach them about theater through the lens of Shakespeare, or we. Th- teach them about theater through the lens of Stanislavski or Uta Hagen, right? Mm. There is this very um, non-ethnic philosophy that teaches the world what theater is. And then we forget that theater and storytelling happened all over Africa, right? The hieroglyphics that we see in Egypt Egypt is form of storytelling right mm-hmm. cool right we have kabuki theater we have balinese and javanese theater right we have all of these things we have the suzuki method of acting right we have all of these things that as an industry we don't celebrate in the same way that we celebrate for lack of a better word the whiteness of what theater is right so, there's a so european so- there's the european canon right there's shakespeare there's you know things that you have to study quote unquote for years you've been told that this is theater. And you're right. I mean, there's not been a lot of attention paid to the stuff that came before Shakespeare or the stuff that even was there, you know, because we didn't, we didn't focus on it. There was no, it was very European centered. You're absolutely right. Correct. So, so, so I, I think in order for us to fully have this conversation, Mm -hmm. we have to have that conversation, Mm -hmm. but that conversation challenges the entire um, educational (laughs) structure of the art form. So I think I think uh, I think it's impossible to effectively have this conversation until we have the full conversation, and I feel like that's part of um, I feel like that's part of the issue when it comes to trying to challenge some of these some of t- trying to face some of these challenges is that we don't really know where to begin the conversation. Mm-hmm. So we have a conversation immediately, but the problems can't be fully addressed unless we have the conversation 
globally. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm hoping that over time we will have that global conversation or I fear that history will just continue to repeat itself um, and we'll have, you know, an ebb and flow of a time where we celebrate uh, multicultural art and then we don't, mm-hmm. right? That's yeah. that's just kind of what it is. Um, yeah. We're not but, careful. We can do, go back. We can right, go but I, back. I do... I do love that right now we are having these conversations. We are making ourselves aware. We are educating ourselves and those around us. And we're doing it in a very um, loving and caring and open way. Uh, and I just I just hope that that kind of conversation continues. So. Yeah, and let's, so that's fantastic. I mean, let's talk a bit about, since, you know, we talked about um, you playing Marius and Le Mis was uh, as the first black man on Broadway to do so. Uh, which was in like what 2014? It wasn't that long ago. Yeah, 2000. It was right before Shuffle Along. So yeah, yeah. that's probably when it was. Which mm-hmm. is kind of. I mean, that's scary. First of all, that it took that long for that to happen when that show ran for so many years. I mean, that show's been running since I was a teenager on Broadway. The first, the first version of La Mis, right? Since the 80s, late 80s. And so the question then becomes: Why did no one think of it? Why did no one? Why was that never a possibility? Or was there nobody that uh, audition? You know, like wh- why did why did casting agents not think that this was a possible thing? Was it? You know, so. All, the fact that you did that and, and, and broke that ground, were you thinking about that, that the first night you went on? Um, did, was that even a consideration or were you just focused on, on playing the best Marius that you could play? Um, but I mean, was there a historic weight? Did you feel historic weight of that? Um, I, uh, yes. So, so um, I'm, go- I'm going to uh, make two, two slight um, uh, adjustments to, to, to the way the question was posed. Oh, absolutely. Um, go for it. Yes. So, so, um, so when, when it when it comes down to actually casting the show, uh, casting's job is finished once they get the right people in the room, mm-hmm. and then and then the weight goes back to your creative team and your producers as to who actually books the show. So I will say that um, there have been a number of times, and I, and I guess I'm lucky, where casting brings me in all the time for things that may not necessarily be played by a person of color. Mm-hmm. Casting will bring me in, um, but then. It, at the end of the day, it's up to the creatives and the producers and the directors as actually cast. Yeah, thank so you. I don't, so, so, yeah, so I didn't want to say that, you know, has casting never thought of this? Because I, I would like to believe that casting, you know, thinks about this all the time and, and tries so to bring it So it's not that people aren't called in for the roles. It's that once you're in the room, what happens uh, or how the, how the property is viewed uh, in terms of the musical or the piece. And maybe it's not viewed as, as something that um, is written for someone who is of color. Correct. Correct. Um, and, 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 and some casting directors do this more often than others, but, but, I, but I do want to say that, you know, casting, casting may be making efforts to do this. And then it's up to, you know, I'm the director of this show. I want everyone to be seven feet tall with long red hair. You don't have that. <laughs> I don't want you to be like, that's, you know, right. we have, we have to acknowledge that. It's so really when it, when it, when it came to, uh, Les Mis, so, um, when I first started auditioning for the show, I was auditioning to cover the role of Andras in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't until I was halfway through the audition process that at the last minute, they asked me to uh, quickly learn the material for Marius. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I learned the material, did the audition the next morning. It really wasn't my best work, but somehow by like, once again, divine intervention, I booked the show even before they finished, you know, callbacks. 
I got a phone call saying, hey, you're going to be in the show. You're covering Marius. This is what's going to happen. You don't have to do the final callbacks. This is what's happening. So that was that was my story with that. When it came time to finally go on in the show, um, yes, there was historical uh, weight to it. But I think the historical weight uh, needed to be there to make it great to make it excellent to make it what it was and i think i think for many uh performers of color that have had long careers on broadway the historic weight is there for anything that you do mm. because because the industry actually and, and and i'll probably get in trouble for saying this but the industry just demands more of you right because if if i were to go on as marius and not be excellent Many people in the audience could have said, "Oh, it was a gimmick that they put him in that role, right?" Or they yeah. only did that because well, that's because, that's well. an issue that people of color face in all professions. Correct, right? So, so, so the the historical weight mm -hmm. is always evident, no matter what it is. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and then, I, and then I will say this: I also knew that I also knew going on when I finally went on um, that if I didn't do uh, amazing. Um, it would probably never happen again. Uh -huh. um, yeah. And I, and I also knew that, you know, Les Mis is, a, is, a, is an iconic show and people have very clear views of what it should be. Yeah. So I also knew that if I, if I wasn't excellent when I went on, um, I had no idea what would happen to me when well, I left because the of, stage door. Because you were thrown um, in the deep end in terms of the visibility in that too, because it's a lead role because of the historic moment, then all eyes were on you. So then the pressure was really on to, to then deliver. And if you didn't, it would be more obvious than if you didn't deliver in some other smaller thing that maybe they had not seen you in. Right. So you felt that weight as well. Correct. Correct. Mm, correct. So, um, so yeah, so I, I mean, so, so that, that historic significance was, was always there. Um, I constantly reminded myself that Marius in this show looked like no one else, right? Mm -hmm. Marius in this show with me would not be what an audience had ever seen before. Um, and I, I set out to celebrate that difference in the way that I played Marius instead of trying to make my Marius fit what uh, books have told us what it should be, right? Mm -hmm. I just said, well, what can I celebrate about my Marius that is unique in this situation that is 100% me and is black? Mm -hmm. um, and that's and that's what I did. So, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I wouldn't say that I wouldn't say that it that the entire creative team was 100% on board mm -hmm. with me covering Marius. Sure. Um, I wouldn't say that uh, the fans were, I know the fans weren't 100% on board. The number of letters that were written to the theater or or the horrible things that people said at the stage door when I left, um, oh. you know, made it clear that some people didn't want to see a black man as Marius, but a black man could definitely be Andros because Andros causes problems and Marius is a love interest. <laughs> but, you know, it wow, totally I was like, wow. I was yeah. like, well, you can step inside and talk to stage management about that. I have no way of... So you did, you did, so yeah, so let's get real. You did experience some blowback then from... from oh, of course. Yeah. Oh, of course. Which I mean, is I had, crazy. I had, one, but. I had one person say, I had one person say, um, uh, this show has been completely ruined for me now because oh Marius was black. I said, I said, okay, well, wow. Well, Great. that's more well, about, that's more about that person, right? That's more about course, that person. And, you know, but the, it's funny to me, you know, because be it what it may be, you know, when uh, Victor Hugo wrote this, 
you know, novel, they're all fictional characters. So who cares? I mean, they could be anything because they're fictional characters. Hello. (laughs) It's just hilarious. The the ignorance. throw out there is like most people when when they hear Les Mis in their head they hear it with a British accent which is you know that's how lots of people hear a lot of a lot of the songs master of the house right yeah. they hear it with a British accent but I'm like well actually it's a <laughs> French. French story right. it takes place in France so if you hear any accent it should be French, French. but guess what all of the characters are French so guess what none of them have an accent because they're all French so right? no one's authentic so, right <laughs> So well, you know, you, you get can, you get into really crazy discussions. I have a, a good friend of mine, Joy Jones, who I interviewed a, a couple of years ago for the podcast, and she was playing um, um, Nina Simone in a play. And she said yeah. to me, you know, I get people come up to me and say, well, you're not from North Carolina or wherever. And she's like, well, of course I'm not from North. I mean, like, what the heck? You know, it's like I'm playing a part, you know, I'm playing a role. And if, you, if you're going to, you know, so, I mean, th- th- to allow... Um, people to have the the creativity to be able to go beyond what may have been the original person who created that role. Everyone doesn't have to be the same. So let's talk a bit about, so that's wonderful. Thanks for sharing that. But let's talk a bit about your experience with another musical that I think is, to me, one of my favorite new newer musicals ever made. And I think it handles um, the whole um, taking a catalog of one person's uh, work so well. Um, be better than anyone, I think. Uh, any show, that's my view. Beautiful, the Carol King musical. I first saw that show on Broadway. A good friend of mine um, was in it, uh, uh, Kevin Duda, and I didn't know he was in it until I sat down and opened the program. I said, oh, Kevin, okay. And so um, I um, went to see it, and I love the music of Carol King, but you were in that cast, in the original cast of that fantastic show and you originated a role there right so tell us what that experience was like because that one that is one of those musicals that does include a lot of characters of of uh you know that are historical you know african-american characters but but it really isn't about i mean they're there they're telling a lot of the story through the music that's kind of how i i feel with that show tell me more about that experience for you Oh, wow. I mean, where, where do I even begin? Because beautiful, the Carol King musical, um, is, is exactly that. It, it is beautiful. Um, uh, the, the, uh, everything about that show from beginning our rehearsal process, our out of town tryout, um, and then coming back to Broadway and then having it open and then having it actually be a success was, was, one unexpected and two um, a, a dream come true. So, so I, I I I loved working on Beautiful, and I loved being in the room as we were trying to do a number of things. One, we wanted to tell this beautiful story, but really be. Um, uh, careful and precious with the material because we're talking about the lives of some people that are still alive, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And we're not just talking about, you know, the good times, and we're talking about some dark parts of that life too. So we had to be really precious with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had to be very precious with the songs themselves because most of the songs in the show, especially when you're talking about songs that the Shirelles were singing or that the Drifters were singing, the way most humans remember those songs in their head or, or remember hearing those songs in their head, it's attached to so much emotion and so many memories. Mm. So we had to also pay 
pay total tribute to that. So like every riff and run and like turn of phrase that we did in the music had to not only be approved by Sony Records, uh, who owns the rights to most of the music, but it also had to be um, uh, within close proximity to what the original was because so many people are remembering this music. through so many different lenses. And I think that's part of what made the show work is that all of these songs, Natural Woman, Up on the Roof, On Broadway, Locomotion, right? Mm -hmm. Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow? All of these songs for most of our audience have so many memories and emotions attached to it. And we were able to take the audience on that kind of a journey. And the other thing that was great about it is that because the music spans so many decades uh it's it was one of those shows where you know an adult can take a child or an adult can go with their even more adult parents and have a shared experience through the music because the music has spanned so many decades so it really became a much larger thing than just us putting this you know uh almost jukebox musical on stage but it really became how do how do we kind of like shuffle along how do we allow people to go on this journey and have these memories and these and these discoveries in the theater collectively as a group so that they can take that information with them as they leave so it it became that kind of a journey and it was really awesome that the team that was the original cast it's awesome that that team was put together because all of us had either worked with each other or wanted to work with each other forever. In fact, one other person that was in the show who ended up being my dressing roommate, for years, we thought that we hated each other because we were, we were in every final callback together. Wow. And it felt like, if I always felt that he got everything and apparently he always felt that I got everything. And I always assumed that he hated me and he always assumed that I hated him. <laughs> So when we were in final callbacks for Beautiful, we were we looked at each other and we're like, ugh. Not again. Uh, congratulations, <laughs> right? Because one of us will probably get it. I'm sure it'll be you. And when we both, both got a call that we were going to be in the show together, we reached out to each other and then chose to be roommates together, uh, dressing roommates together, and turned out we became the best of friends because I always admired his work. He always admired my work. I thought he hated me. He thought I hated him, and none of that was true. So mm. it also just brought together this 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 beautiful family of people. I was going to say, it's such a diverse musical, too, because in a way it's diverse. In other ways, it's kind of everyone's sort of in their own corner because of the period of the 60s and, you know, into the... But um, you do... The, 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 the actors of color that are in the show do take sort of a role of the performers, of the drifters, of the, like you said, of the, the Shirelles, they're the ones performing a lot of the Carole King and Saint Barry Mann, Saint Duval music early on in the show, right? And they are the ones that are, right. it's through their lens, it's through their voice that Carole King's music is able to sort of really soar because it, was, it wasn't until, people don't know this, I guess some people do, most people do, but that it was only later that she went on to be, you know, her solo career. But prior to her solo career, she was writing for these groups, right? And that, so you guys were really the heart and soul. Yeah. So when you were doing a lot of that choreography, this was always something that I, 
uh, as someone who, who likes to choreograph and who, who's interested in the movement aspects of theater. I What always got me, at least about the, the Broadway production, was that staircase that you all had to keep going down to then get to the stage to then dance. And you had to get down the staircase on certain counts and in the rhythm. As a dancer, former dancer, retired dancer, and now choreographer, looking at that, I kept thinking to myself, those poor guys, those poor guys. So was it, was it as hard as it looked to be for someone who knows? Um, yeah, it was, um, I will say this, uh, the majority of our tech process um, was, was learning to navigate that structure. It was amazing what um, you guys did. Yeah, it, um, you know something? You're saying it's amazing because it was visually stunning. We say it's amazing because we somehow figured out how to do it. Right, there's the craft. <laughs> yes, you were flying in the air like the like the coyote in the air in those moments because exactly, that's, that's exactly. what you were doing, yeah. and it was brilliant. You were being held up by someone, something bigger than you. But um, fantastic. No, I really remember, and, and the recreation of all those dance steps from that period, from those those groups, those singing groups. That is a lot of work to recreate. That that is art in and of itself. Yeah, yeah, that the, the the team that did our movement was really was really stellar and they found the right way to set that movement on us mm. so that it, it it embodied enough of what audiences were, would remember of the movement but they also made it fit us so perfectly that it came off effortlessly. Mm. Um, one of the things that, they, that we were always reminded of in a, in the creative part of the show is that these singers were not performers. These singers were groups that, you know, were put together on, you know, doorsteps and like, hey, let's put together a band or hey, let's do this, let's mm-hmm. do this. So we're not we're not talking about trained singers and dancers. So how do we create a world of movement that feels completely natural and organic on these people as if they would have done it like in their backyard figuring it out. So uh, the fact that the team was able to figure that out and, and make it work and make it happen and, and, and feel authentic was, was amazing. And, um, it's yeah, and I, I could probably still do the majority of the choreography today. <laughs> it's, years a, later. It's, yeah. it's, it's engraved forever in your brain. Of course. <laughs> well, you know, um, we're almost out of time, which is crazy. This has gone so fast talking to you. But before we go, I, I definitely want to talk to you about a couple things before we, we, we stop here. Um, I want to talk to you a bit about moving forward and stuff that you're doing now. I want to talk about, I know that you do vocal coaching and I know that you're, you have students. How do you, how do, if someone wants to talk to me a little bit about how you teach and what you do for to help people with their auditions and vocal coaching. And if someone's interested in listening to this podcast and they're listening right now and they want to study with you, do you take, you know, how do you take students? How does that all happen? Awesome, awesome, awesome. So uh, let me first start by saying um, money and schedules and all of those things scare me to death. So all of my coaching that I do, and it's I do quite a bit of it, all of my coaching that I do is through a company called New York Vocal Coaching. It's mm-hmm. the easiest name to remember. New York, because it's in New York City. New York Vocal Coaching. NewYorkVocalCoaching.com, and they can handle everything. Wonderful. Um, or, or you can email assistant at newyorkvocalcoaching.com and they can handle everything. Right? So if someone wants to study with you, they can say, I want to study with Arbender because I like the way he sings this or the way he sang that or I liked him on stage. Um, and then they can they can connect. Yes. And they will take care of it effortlessly uh, and make it happen. Um, 
Uh, and uh, so, so I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about my teaching philosophy, which is different than most. So my teaching philosophy, I truly, truly, truly believe that any and everyone can do what I do. Anyone can do it. They just need the right tools and resources, and they have to know how to apply those tools and resources. So I always say that in my teaching philosophy, I meet you wherever you are in your process, and we figure out milestones to get you to the next step of your process. So instead of me saying, oh, I teach this, or I teach this method, or I teach this, or I teach that, or I only work with people on this, I'm like, no, show me where you are in your process, wherever you are, and then we're going to figure out a path to get you to the next part of your process. Um, and, and that seems to work better than having us focus just on technique or just on singing or just on acting or just on auditions or just on monologues. We make it this holistic approach um, of really seeing where you are in your process, me fully understanding that, and then how can we get you to the next step of your process. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all along the way, I just make sure that you don't make all of the mistakes that I made along the way, right? Mm-hmm. So I've had wonderful successes. I've been on Broadway for like 17 years. I've done 11 Broadway shows. I've been working professionally for 20 some odd years, right? It's been great and it sounds amazing, but I made many, many, many horrible mistakes along the way. Um, and I set out a long time ago when I started teaching, I set out to make sure that anyone that came into my presence would not make the same errors that I made. So mm-hmm. I also teach that way. Like, hey, I see we're going here, and I'll tell you a funny story about when I did that, and then this happens. So, that sounds um, great. I mean, so, I, you're making me want to take class with you. I, You know, I haven't sung in years, and now I'm like, maybe I should take class with Arbiter because then maybe he can get me to hit those high notes. <laughs> that's right, definitely. Yeah, of course. And I also believe that if, if you can hear a note in your head, you can sing it. Um, I think sometimes our traditional approach to singing tells us, oh, I'm a tenor, so I shouldn't be able to sing that note. And I'm like, nope, let's just look at how the alto voice or the soprano voice works and how can we make our voice in the male register work in the same way and then boom, you can hit that note. Mm. So, um, wow. so yeah, yeah, there, there, there's, there are lots of different approaches. Well, don't and, give away and, all your secrets. Let people, okay, people, people have to pay. People have to pay. It's not free, everybody. So New York Vocal Coaching, look it up. Um, and, and send them an email or go on the website and say you want Arbender if that's who you want to study with because he's there and I'm sure they have a lot of other great people too. If they someone chooses someone else, that's fine too. But I, I, if, if, if I'm, a, I'm a guy and I want to sing, I think I'm going to pick you. So, um, so let's talk a bit about um, other projects that you might have coming up or anything that you're working on. Did you, did you dive into a lot of the online stuff? I know you were doing a Christmas – some Christmas music as well. That's past now, but it's still out there. What 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 online stuff have you been working on? So funny. I will say this. This is going to sound crazy. Um, once again, let's talk about divine intervention. Um, right before I was in Book of Mormon when the, when the pandemic hit and shut everything down, mm-hmm. um, and I I had just gone into uh, the company management office maybe two weeks before, and I said, Hey, listen, I know that all the vacation days are 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 taken up. Um, but, uh, I just realized I need, I need a break. Like I need a, I need a break. Like I want, like, I want to go home and see my parents. I want to go see my baby sister. I want to take this class. Like there were all these things that I, that I felt that I needed to do in life. Like I, I just needed a few weeks off. So the pandemic hit and I was like, hallelujah, I have a few weeks off, right? <laughs> you got um, your wish so, <laughs> a little bit longer know, than right? you wanted probably. I know, but... it, it, 
it's all my fault. So, uh, <laughs> so, so, so I will say this: the, the pandemic hit, and I, and I and I'll say that for the first three or four months, I did absolutely nothing Good for you. but read books, mm-hmm. read books, and watch movies mm. and television, um, and write letters. Like I wrote letters to like everyone in my family. Um, so, nice. so I, I re- did a lot of gardening. So I really, I really used that time uh, to to kind of recharge mm-hmm. and regroup. Um, and then, and then instead of working on projects, um, I only wanted to work on giving back mm. because I do feel that the universe, the universe has been so kind to me my entire life, um, that I wanted to give back. So I started every single morning waking up and just turning on my social media and recording a song and just saying, you know, good morning to whoever sees this enjoy your day here's a bit of music for you and like let's start our day together so i woke up at the crack of dawn every every weekday to record a song i've now done like 220 of these songs wow um and and i'm still doing it um and then all i did was um a lot of school programs and training programs wanted ways to keep their artists encouraged so i would volunteer my time to help keep them encouraged I have volunteered a lot of time to teach workshops and classes at a lot of different places. So I really just spent this entire time just giving back to the community mm. and giving back to the universe. So mm. that's what I've been doing, not working on much of any art. Mm. Um, and, at, and at this very moment, I am back uh, at the Turbo University where I did my undergrad. I'm there right now um, teaching like a seven-week um master class and then i'm teaching uh, an acting class and two scene study courses wow. um and just doing talkbacks with the community about you know ways that we can use this time to really dig deeper into our art so like that's that's what i'm doing i mean it's not putting any money in the bank but i do feel that you know the, the universe has been great to me so i will use all of this time mm. until things back to whatever they are to simply give back give back give back give back so that is that's what i'm doing so even when you asked me to do this well yeah i was like yeah sure perfect done yeah so um, oh, thank I'll you well well you know you i think that's a wonderful way to approach it i think it's a great spirit and it's a lot of generosity of you to to do that and give back and uh you know and you're and you're you're teaching a next generation you're you're working with the people coming up. You're giving them advice. I think that's fantastic. So here's what here's my next. We gotta go because we're almost out of time. But let me, uh, if people want to keep updated on all these things, because there's a lot of things we didn't get to talk about that I know you're working on and with vocal coaching and teaching and and whatever you might be doing, if and when we when we come back, which will happen soon, uh, to 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 live theater, you're gonna be out there probably. Maybe I don't know if that's what you want to do, but you'll be doing something. So um, if yeah. people want to follow you, where can they go? Do you have a website or social? media are you on insta facebook how how can they find you if they want to know more keep updated awesome so so you can always find my website which is rbender.com a-r-b-e-n-d-e-r.com that's easy um and then you can find me on uh instagram at rbender2 the number two rbender2 wait there's another one well, when I went to sign up for it, there was another one. It was all pictures of me, but it, but I'm like, oh, I never said this. Oh, you've got a fan. You've got an yeah, Instagram fan. Look at you. Yeah, once Good. once I set up my own Instagram, that one went away, but it's Arbender2. 
too. Um, and then you can also find me on Facebook. There's uh, there's no other Arbender Robinson on Facebook. It's me. So, I was going to um, say, you're it. And, so, and you're posting, I saw, I've been seeing that you've been posting your, your, your songs. And that's so anyone who wants to listen to those can, can do that for free on, at the moment, uh, for free on Instagram or, or Facebook. So that would be wonderful. Arbender, thank you so much. We're out of time on American Theatre Artists Online, but we're so glad that you were able to give of your time once again thank you to be with us and thank you so much for everything you've given uh for those audiences that have been watching you now for oh a long time on broadway awesome thank you thanks for having me i I love every second of this me too and i hope that you continue on your wonderful journey of whatever is meant to happen to you is 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 put in front of you for you to see so you can choose and and that's a wonderful thing you know good people have good things happen to them that's always my view you get what you what you put out you get back so Wonderful. Of course. Thank you, Arvinder. Thank you so much for being on our podcast. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks. End of May or early June, this picture-perfect afternoon we share. Drive the winding country road and grab a scoop at Alamode and then we're there. An open field that's framed with trees, we pick a spot and shoot the breeze like buddies do. Quoting songs from our favorite bands, telling jokes no one understands except us two. And we talk and take in the view. Let the world pass by for forever Feels like we could go on for forever this way Two friends on a perfect day Thank you for listening to the American Theatre Artists Online podcast. 
This episode was edited by Zach Walsh. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider donating to the Actors Fund today. Just go to actorsfund.org and press donate. If you'd like to share your feedback or send us comments, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at American Theatre Artists Online.